smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we continue our series in Philippians. Matt Waldron speaks to us from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. Living in Christ. Here's Matt. This is a fictional story I want to start with. A man gets down on his knees and presents a woman with a diamond ring. The woman says, oh, thank you. I've been looking for something to use to clean my toilet. Uh, and the man says, no, 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 I'm, I'm asking you to marry me. And the woman says, oh, well, I, I don't see our relationship that way. So the man's devastated, but says, okay, that's your decision. And the woman says, okay, good, hand over the ring. I still need to clean my toilet. Now, there are a couple of different ways this story could end. The man could take the ring and go. The man could persuade the woman to change her mind and marry him. But the man isn't going to let the woman have the ring as a toilet brush. That's not one of the options on the table. It wouldn't be right to take the gift without the relationship that the gift is for. Well, now to a true story that we're all part of. God has given us humans a wonderful gift, the gift of life, not just, you know, having blood pumping through our veins, but being aware of ourselves, aware of the wonder of the universe, having a sense of right and wrong, having love and relationships. Life is a gift. It's not just random. It's not just for no reason. God has given us life in His image so that we can have a relationship with Him. But we all turn away from Him and try and live our lives for ourselves. It's not right to take the gift without the relationship that the gift is for. Well, once again, there are a couple of different ways this story can end. God can take His gift away and leave us empty, lost and alone forever. Or we can be persuaded to turn back to Him. But God isn't going to just allow us to use the life He has given us for whatever we choose without Him. That option is not on the table. So when God turns someone back to Him to accept life as a gift from Him with gratitude, what does that look like? Well, there's a great example of that in the Bible in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Uh, here, Paul is talking about uh, being in chains, being arrested, being in prison, and facing the possibility of being executed. And as he talks about it, it's clear he knows two big things. Firstly, life is for Christ. And secondly, the good life is in Christ. So firstly, life is for Christ. We see that in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Here's what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. In these verses, we see what Paul believes matters most. Right? In verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually adva- served to advance the gospel. He's been arrested, and he wants them to know what matters about that is that it has served to advance the message of Jesus. Verse 13, he says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Uh, all the people who are, all the uh, palace soldiers, uh, you know, the elite in the, in the empire who are being given their turn on the roster to guard Paul and be chained to him, they can't get away from the fact that Paul has been arrested because he is spreading the message of Jesus. They can't get away from the fact that Paul thinks it's worth being arrested for the sake of sticking to the truth about Jesus. And I suspect, because they're on duty, they can't get away from Paul telling them about Jesus. Uh, Then verse 14, it's had an impact on other believers in Jesus as well. Verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And you can just Paul is just thrilled about this. He describes other Christians as his brothers and sisters. That's his typical way of talking about other Christians. And he's just brimming with encouragement that other people have seen what he's willing to do for Jesus and said, well, I'm going you know, to stand up for Jesus as well. And then my, the, the next three verses just really, Paul's uh, feelings just spill out. Verses 15 to 18. It is true that some, this is some Christians, preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. There are some Christians who love Paul and go, look, Paul can't travel around telling people about Jesus anymore, so let me step up and do a bit more, because I love Paul, and I'm on the same team. I'm on team Jesus with Paul. But there are other people who are jealous of Paul, envious of Paul, see Paul as, you know, competing with them for who can be the coolest Christian, or I don't know what they're competing for, but verse 17 says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And how does Paul feel about that? Verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul doesn't see serving Jesus as a competition. If other people are serving Jesus faithfully with bad feelings about Paul, as long as they're serving Jesus faithfully, Paul doesn't care. That's what matters, is that the message of Jesus is being spread. Why does it matter that the message of Jesus is spread? Uh, Just looking ahead a little bit to verse 20, we see what Paul's big kind of philosophy about this is. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, 
Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Uh, Christ is supposed to be honoured. Christ is supposed to be exalted. Christ is supposed to be lifted up. Uh, Christ is supposed to be lived for. Life is for Christ. And so spreading his message, spreading the message that he's the Lord, spreading the message that life is for Christ, that's just the kind of part of living for Christ, of honouring for Christ, of doing everything for Christ. Well, back in the Roman Empire, I think my impression is life then was about being part of society or maybe being a good member of your family, being a good citizen. But Paul said, no, life is for Christ. Society is for Christ. Family is for Christ. Everything is about having a relationship with Him. If you asked uh, people you know who are not Christians, what do you reckon life is about? What do you reckon they'd say? Well, I think a lot of people would say something like, life is about freedom. Life is about choice. You know, you can choose a, a soulmate to make you feel complete. You can choose a career that you think gives you meaning. Of course, that means that in our society, Increasingly, people say you can choose to end your life once you think it's no longer meaningful. In other words, life doesn't have a purpose in itself, so you're free to make something up and we'll all pretend to take it seriously. Well, not only is that very sad, thankfully, it's not true. God did create us for a purpose. God created us for Christ to be his little brothers and sisters and to enjoy creation with him as a family forever. God says, no, life is not about choice. Life is about Christ. Life is for Christ. Life is for having a relationship with him. A typical Wednesday night in my house, uh, I'm putting the kids to bed and then I feel like my choice would be to spend some time with my wife, maybe watching a movie or reading a book to each other or something. And typically, it's the middle of the week, Cheryl is exhausted and doesn't want to choose to do those things. And my culture tells me that if I choose her, she's supposed to choose me. Because our choice is what matters. And so then I'm supposed to feel offended if I'm not getting what I deserve, if my life's not working the way I want it to. On those occasions, my feelings are wrong. <laughs> my feelings are not reflecting reality. Because that is not ultimately what my life is for. My life is for Christ. The right question is, how can I serve Christ in this situation? How can I honour Christ in this situation? How can I lift up Jesus in this situation? Because if I do that... That would be success. That's what my life is for. How can I exalt Jesus in my relationship with my wife? How can I honour Jesus in the way I serve my family? How can I bring glory to Jesus in the way I live? How do we, how do, we do that? Now, Paul clearly did that. The main way Paul seems to talk about himself doing that is him travelling around and spreading the message of Jesus. 
And that's really important. But there's more to life following Jesus than just spreading the message. Spreading the message is, is crucial, essential. And Jesus called Paul with a special role to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to do that in a particular way. But God gives different opportunities and different abilities to different people. And in the second half of the year, we are going to spend some time as a church looking specifically at evangelism, how we uh, tell other people the message of Jesus. I'm really looking forward to that. But today I want to focus on the bigger picture of how we live for Jesus in general. So one way we've talked about this in the past is the six M's. Making good work, modeling godly character, ministering grace and love, molding culture, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and being a messenger of the gospel. Uh, one of the things I like about this is it says that being a messenger of the gospel is one of the things. It's got to be there. But it also shows there are a bunch of other ways that we honor Jesus in our day-to-day -day life. Making good work, modeling godly character, ministering grace and tr love, molding culture, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and being a messenger of the gospel. Now, do you notice, with all those things to do, there, there are lots of choices we need to make. It's not like because our life is not about choices that we don't have to make choices or that we don't get to make choices. There are lots of choices to make. In making good work, well, there are lots of good works you can do. There are lots of good jobs you can have. There are so many options. So it's not that we don't make a choice, but we make a choice for Jesus. In modeling godly character, we don't get to decide what you know, love and justice and kindness are. God tells us what it is like to be like Him. But there are still lots of detailed decisions you have to make that are not right or wrong. They're not godly or sinful. They're just different options between good things. Right? When I put on my socks this morning, I looked at the different pairs of socks. I could, there was no kind of sense of, what if I choose the wrong socks today? Like it's not... Following Jesus is not supposed to be weighted down with this kind of stress that, you know, every decision has to be right on the basis of, you know, what, what are the consequences going to be? You know, I just try and pick nice socks that don't, you know, that aren't too weird for the rest of what I'm wearing. Uh, you might have better advice on how to pick socks. But it's not, you know, there are plenty of other choices within being godly. And even when you think about more specifically how to be godly, more... Um, uh, you know, more significant, uh, uh, if you're very into fashion, don't be offended, but, you know, decisions that are more important than fashion, okay, there, there, are, still, there are still options. There's still wisdom that's needed. Uh, when it comes to raising my children, right, I want to teach them the Bible, but there are lots of decisions that God leaves to me about how to do that. Should I read the Bible with them in the morning or in the evening? At mealtime, before the meal, after the meal, at bedtime? with uh, this storybook Bible that we've got in, you know, in Australia, or this other one. There are so many creative decisions that I get to make in the context of trying to be godly and do God's will uh, as me, the person He's made me. Ministering grace and love. <clears throat> right? when, someone, when you're trying to serve someone and do treat them better than they deserve. So many options of how to try and express that. Molding culture. Being a mouthpiece, mouthpiece for truth and justice. 
mean, there are so many things that are wrong with the world. Do you try and speak about all of them all the time? Now, you probably need to pick some priorities. What is the thing that I could make a difference about? Being a messenger of the gospel, all these things present opportunities to make choices. So, our life is not for choice. It's for Christ. But in living for Christ, He gives us lots of opportunities to make choices. And that brings us to the, the next thing that Paul says. Well, I think it just shows that he says this. That the good life is in Christ. Paul doesn't say you've got to choose between the good life and following Jesus. He says, no, no, life is for Christ. So if you follow Him, you'll have the good life. So look at Philippians 1 verses 19 to 26. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm, going to, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I think the thing that's a bit tricky about this paragraph is that it's so different to how people normally think that it's hard to get our heads around. I think that's what's going on. What Paul is saying is, looking at his future, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He might be released, he might be executed. And Paul says, this is the part that's just so unlike most human beings, he says, I'm not sure which one I'd prefer. Would I prefer to be released or would I prefer to be executed? It's, man, it's, like, it's hard to decide what I'd prefer. Right? That's so unusual. And so what's his logic? Well, he says, well, if I die, I get to go and be with Jesus. So he's so confident in God's grace. He's so confident in God's power. Because of Jesus, he's so confident that when he dies, he's going to go and be with Jesus. And he knows that's going to be fantastic. So that's a really attractive option. That would be fantastic. But then, not only is that really surprising, he, he thinks it's probably better that he doesn't get executed if he, if he gets to pick. But the reason that's his preference is not because that would be better for him. He thinks it would be better if he doesn't get executed for other people, for God's people particularly. It'll be better for Jesus. His life is for Jesus. And so he thinks it's going to be better for Jesus if he doesn't get executed. So that's what he'd prefer. Not because it's better for him, because it's better for Jesus, because it's better for Jesus' people. Right? Verse 23 says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now, do you notice, so this, this 
this is coming out of the fact that he's living for Christ, and he's not living for Christ going, oh, well, living for Christ is pretty terrible, but it's the right thing to do. So I'll just have to grit my teeth and put up with it. He's not saying that. He's not saying living for Christ, oh, it's, it's, so, it's so hard, it's so terrible, but I, but I have to do it so that people will think good things about me. He's not, Paul is not saying living for Christ is horrible. You know, it would be better for me to be living a different way, but I feel, I feel like trapped that I have to live this way. That's not what he's saying at all. Right? He's saying living for Christ is fantastic. It's so fantastic that dying is a promotion. Dying is getting to be alive with Christ forever without all of the problems in the way that we experience in this life. And, and this life that he's living for Christ is also fantastic. He's not... You know, it's, it's more necessary for other people that he stays. He loves these people. That's one of the things that comes out again and again in the book of Philippians. These people he sees as his brothers and sisters, his beloved. Th these partners that have been with him through thick and thin. He loves these people. And so he's not, uh, even though he's looking forward to going and being with Christ in a new creation forever in heaven before, you know, all that. He's not like, oh, but Jesus is making me stay here with you rotters. That's not what he's saying, right? He's thrilled to be living for Jesus, helping other people to be reconciled to God, helping other people to change the world uh, into God's ways. Right? Our world says you need to live for yourself. You need to live for your fulfillment. But if we do that, then we finish up empty, <laughs> But Paul says, live for Christ, and then he is fulfilled. I don't know, uh, you know what your experience of, of this is like, but for me, you know, when I'm, you know, if I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling you know, stressed or, or sad or whatever, uh, you know, focusing on my feelings and going, right, be happy, or be, you know, come on, uh, that, that doesn't tend to work. Just focusing on myself. Okay, I'm going to aim at myself. What, how does that even work? Where do, I, where do I aim? A lot of people will say, you need to do what comes natural. You need to follow, you know, you need to be natural. I'm not going to, there's a bunch of examples of that. Where people say, you need to follow nature. We need to fit in with the way we've naturally uh, become to be. Uh, the problem is, there's no part of nature that's not natural. Which part of nature is not natural? Like when people say you should do what's natural, well, let me tell you, doing what other people tell you because you feel social pressure, social pressure is natural. That doesn't help. If I just need to follow my feelings, which feelings? I've got a whole bunch of feelings telling me to do all different stuff. But if I live for Christ, if I follow Him, if I focus on things that are good in His world, if I focus on how I can serve other people the way he tells me to, or if I focus outside myself on Christ and his ways and uh, people in his world, then that does make my feelings more positive. If we live for fulfillment, 
then we will finish up empty. On the day Jesus comes back and says, you have been given life for me. What have you done with it? People whose answer is, oh, well, I managed to pretend that wasn't true for my whole life and so I felt good with my head in the sand. It's not like Jesus is going to be explaining to them that that's stupid and terrible. It's just going to be obvious. Jesus is not coming back to kind of put people down. It's just that when Jesus comes back, reality becomes unavoidable now. You can't keep your head in the sand anymore. And so if we've lived for our own fulfillment, we will finish up empty. But if we live for Christ, then we finish up fulfilled. A few years ago, um, Steve and Julianne got together with us and brought their archery gear so we could do archery with the kids. So we've got the bows and arrows. They've got proper bows and arrows and everything. And I'm miming it very badly, but you know, those guys know how to do it properly. Uh, and we had, we didn't have like a professional target with concentric. We just had a cardboard box that Stephen had stuffed with something to aim at. But he said it's good to have something to aim at. That makes sense. I, I mean, I appreciate it. If you just gave my kids bows and arrows and no direction, they could be, you know, someone could get injured. What would it mean to say we should just aim the arrow in the direction it wants to go? What does that mean? You should aim the direction, the, the arrow in the direction it's pointing. Well, it's pointing wherever you're pointing. Like it just it doesn't give you anything. Or the arrow will fly better. The arrow will fly true if you're not aiming at anything. Well, not no. The, the arrow. If you point the arrow straight up, it's it's not going to fly in the way that it's designed to fly. If you point the arrow straight down, it's not going to fly in the way it's supposed to fly. If you point the arrow kind of out this way, it might fly sort of the way it's supposed to fly. You might get the impression you're doing good archery until you see where it lands, right? What the, uh, the arrow is designed to do is to hit the target. And aiming for the target, hitting the target, does not oppress the arrow. It doesn't stop the arrow from flying well. That's what it's for. In the same way, uh, we are made for God. Life is for Christ. And in Christ is where life is fulfilled. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for making us for yourself. Thank you for the privilege of being human beings. Not, I mean, you made all sorts of amazing, wonderful things. Uh, but... We have a special place in your universe because we have a special place in your heart. And we're so thankful for that. Father, please forgive us for being tempted to believe the lie that it is somehow a bad thing to live for you, that, that living for you somehow gets in the way of the best life for us. Uh, thank you for making us for Christ. Thank you that the good life is in Christ. Please grow us in him, grow us in living for him, grow us in enjoying you forever. Father, please uh, help us to be thankful for all the choices you give us, uh, particularly in the wealthy Western world. We have so many different options, but uh, even your people in other parts of the world, people living in incredible poverty, Please give us uh, all uh, wisdom 
as we live for Christ in our work, in growing in godliness, in being gracious and loving for others. Help us to change our societies around us. Please help us to stand up for what's right and true and help us not to neglect to tell other people about Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.